Hey, I'm Allison, host of Fine Cut, a podcast where a guest brings a scene they have strong feelings about love, hate, curiosity from any form of media. And then we discuss the heck out of it for 20 minutes. It's a blast. Join us. Hi, everyone. I'm Allison. Thanks for joining me for Fine Cut. Today, I have my wonderful friend who I've known for decades. I was doing the math. Um, we met in college, and I love any excuse to talk to him. He happens to be a brilliant television writer, producer, and author, but he's also just a, just a wonderful human who I, I look for excuses to connect with. So this is the excuse for today. We're going to talk about a scene, and what is that scene, and why did you choose it, Brian? Well, so the scene that we're here to talk about today, it's actually the last like like four minutes of the Wham! documentary that recently debuted on Netflix. And um, it's all of the, the footage from the Wham! Farewell concert, which in this documentary was the first time I was ever seeing this footage. And it just, it struck me on a bunch of different levels, but I realized um, that that was, um, one of the many sort of like queer icons from my youth mm -hmm. that were there as lampposts along my way to coming out that I didn't realize were there at the time. And George Michael figures in in this really interesting, funny way because he was present, but I don't think I recognized him until many years later as someone who was kind of formational and foundational for me in terms of seeing queerness reflected back to me from popular culture. It's interesting you say that because when I was watching the documentary, I never had a crush on George Michael. Like I totally had a crush on Andrew Ridgely and people were crazy for George Michael. I loved him. I thought mm -hmm. he was incredibly talented, but he didn't feel like he was for me, even though I had no sense of him being queer at that moment or, yeah. you know, or really diving into queerness, even though my mom had friends who were, but like, I, so I was aware, but mm -hmm. I didn't read him as queer, but watching the documentary he was hiding in plain sight he absolutely was hiding in plain sight and it's 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 interesting that we're having this conversation uh, uh, the, and 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 like the subtext of it is like we're talking about the female gaze and the queer gaze mm -hmm. right in yeah, terms of how true. we're parsing um these male pop idols mm -hmm. and uh i i think back to that age and it was my female friends that allowed me um, at that age, as puberty was hitting 12, 13, 14, it was my female friends who allowed me to begin to sort of discuss mm -hmm. my queer attraction without mm -hmm. having or saying the words, you know, because I it really took me a minute to put the pieces together. But, but you know, a, a lot of my um, identity was formed through conversation with female friends about pop stars and pop mm -hmm. through yeah. casual conversation of like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and seeing who, who was on their wall and who was in mm -hmm. their locker and why, and, and that you could have these really great kind of conversations with girls that you couldn't have with guys that allowed you to kind of talk about the boys that you thought were cute. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yes. And it makes funny you talk about the poster because I had this friend, Jenny Dahlstra, who mm-hmm. had the posters on her walls. And right. I was so envious because we weren't allowed to like we couldn't tape things on our walls. That was like very much against the rules because you're ruining the walls. I don't know if you're aware. So okay, good to know. <laughs> so I just remember being in her bed and she was much more of the kind of like we were we were in gymnastics together and she was much more of like we would go to the mall to get like it was very stereotypical tween girl behavior. And we I have to say this documentary, like I was surprisingly emotional. I was not prepared for mm-hmm. how emotional I was going to be about wham. Yeah. Um, even though I loved them, like, and it's amazing to me, any of the songs in the documentary immediately knew all the lyrics, even though I have not been listening to wham on the regular <laughs> since then. Um, but I didn't, I kind of knew they didn't have a bitter breakup. Like that was in my consciousness, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how close they truly were. And and how um, how grace gracious graceful Andrew was about the whole thing. Yeah, that was one of the most beautiful aspects of this documentary. Is that while it functioned as this wonderful piece of pop culture memorabilia, it is also this really beautiful tribute to friendship across yeah. lines of sexuality. Yeah, and I think it's very important. Um, in this day and age, especially in, you know, as we're in the sort of the season of Bar- Barbieheimer and seeing, <laughs> um, seeing all of the, the, the sort of toxic masculinity backlash to the Barbie mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you'll allow me to pull in other references. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, but the, at the same time, we have this Wham! documentary that is a straight man um, who is standing up in like really strong allyship for his queer best friend from childhood and goes so far on that journey of like protecting that friend that he helps that friend start an international pop band sensation, right? (laughs) Records three albums with this dude, (laughs) all in this effort to just like, walk beside his friend until his friend is ready to step out and become the George Michael that we know as the solo artist. And that is what those last few minutes and that farewell concert footage really is about for me, because, you know, we go back to hiding in plain sight and the the way that George is so queerly coded in that performance, in costume, in movement, but he's also so confident and so... Um, in charge of the space and in charge of his physicality. And it is the most beautiful thing to see that, and Andrew is just there like playing guitar, just being like, oh boy. Like, just off in the corner of the stage. Yeah. As George Michael is doing down the catwalk, like all over the plate, you know, and Andrew's just jamming on his guitar. But the beauty of that level of support uh, coming from straight men towards queer men is not something to sneeze at. It's, I think that's really important to see. And I think it's an important part of the larger kind of cultural shifts that we're going through right now as people just in the world. You know, I think this documentary really exemplifies that in a beautiful way. It does. And, and, you, and, you, and to take it as 1986 and, mm-hmm. and earlier... Yeah, he, he didn't have any role models for this behavior, Andrew. Like this just came out of him naturally. Yeah. 
yeah. this is my best friend. I, I love him. Mm-hmm. I want him to, and there is an earlier moment in the documentary when George comes out to him and says, I think I'm going to tell my dad. And he and Shirley say, don't, don't tell yeah. your dad. And for me, that was also a really emotional moment because they're like, what, 20 when this happens? 19? Yeah. Young. Very young. And it's a moment of like, no, don't tell your dad because George's dad is very conservative, yeah. you know, an immigrant. They're afraid that he will react negatively, which I think is an incredibly well-founded fear. Well, and, and if, if you'll allow me to jump in here too, yeah, jump in. it's what's interesting just a, if, about that whole moment. And it's something that I think still hasn't been focused on a super lot is that both George and Andrew are the children of immigrants. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting to be reminded of that. I knew it, but I hadn't, you know, but you know, uh, uh, Andrew, who who his background is Egyptian, mm-hmm. um, and and there are elements of of culture in Egypt where, I, if I'm not mistaken, like male friendship is, you're allowed to display that. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to to hold. They you know they kiss and hug and hold hands with their with their male friends in that culture. Um, and and from an anthropological like perspective, I would love to unpack the the stuff that informed Andrew to the point that mm-hmm. made him that kind of ally mm-hmm. um, versus you know culturally where George is coming from with his Greek heritage and coming up in an immigrant culture that has a very different. Um, uh, set of rules around masculinity hmm. and yeah. same-sex attraction historically. It would be interesting <laughs> because I don't know like where homosexuality, how that's viewed in either of those. I don't, I don't imagine it's viewed with positively in either culture because it is this sort of more, or are you saying in Egypt in there the is modern space era, for that? Well, no, 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 no. There's, there's not space for, for, for queer culture, yeah. but there is space for male yes. friendship to be demonstrative, yes, for sure, and affectionate, yeah, you know, and and which I, I love so much. And when I see younger more. men like <laughs> hugging each other and just being close to each other, because it's interesting. You you see men creating circumstances where it is okay to touch each other, like they have to create sort of a whole narrative about it when, where it's just like, oh no, you can actually just because you enjoy being close to one another because you love each other. Yeah. And, and there's nothing unsafe or, you know, like about it, but it, I think to many, many straight men or straight presenting men, it feels unsafe. Like it, it makes yeah. them vulnerable. It makes them vulnerable, especially because, you know, culturally, I think that we take vulnerability and um, affection away from boys. For sure. In this really rigid, hardcore way. Um, Very traumatizing to be, a word that is overused, but I think really applies here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we we let little kids, Mm -hmm. they puppy pile all over each other. And like, especially when you think about um, like siblings, right? Yeah. Uh, Same gender siblings who often share room, share space, sometimes share beds. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're little, there's an intimacy that they have with someone of the same gender that is just about closeness and fondness for one another and uh, support for one another and, and their genuine emotion for one another. And then, and then you hit this age where that's not cool anymore. Yeah. And, Suddenly, and it's dangerous, in fact. 
it becomes yeah. this kind of fl red flag of sorts like oh no he, red flag he wants to be close to me this must mean yeah. that which obviously we have a lot here to say about homophobia but like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why but also but also it is it's all tied into the homophobia and i think also the misogyny like because it appears female yes this wanting comfort mm -hmm. and so that's weak um and and the fact that that femaleness is weaponized against absolutely. men across across i mean <laughs> it's so interesting to watch it yeah uh, and painful but <laughs> to just watch it in real time it's like oh you know that this behavior is seen as negative because it's like something i might do yeah like i just want to be clear that this behavior is because it is its proximity to femaleness. Yeah. Um, and we're great. <laughs> <laughs> we're great. There's no, and so I actually was, it's it's funny you talk about it, Brian, with the touching and the puppy pile because George and Andrew had a lot of that energy. And of course mm -hmm. I hadn't seen the video footage of them. I don't think ever, you know, certain images like from the proof sheets, those are like, Ding, because I'd seen them hundreds of times mm -hmm. where they are and the and the poses often came out of them kind of like goofing around with each other yeah. but I didn't see the pre goofing around. you know I didn't see the pre-photo behavior I just see the like here we are leaning into each other one of us <laughs> kind of goofy one of us devastatingly handsome yeah. and um and they had that energy and they and they maintained that energy they didn't even as they became famous and everyone yeah. was watching them and it's it's amazing and i think part of my emotion watching it was like i was thinking about how george was going to be without this when he went solo mm. and how mm. how life altering obviously going solo was the way he was going to go and it was the right yeah. thing to do but to have someone like that who you know loves you Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with your name or who you are or what you could possibly give them just because they, that unconditional love. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was a real shift in his life and in yeah. his trajectory. Um, can, can we circle back to, because the, yes. the images, the images, just the, like the cover art images, mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it, I, I, I have forgotten with age how much like queer, like gender fuckery was going on yeah. in 80s pop culture. Yeah. Because who would think, right, that, that you could sell an album where the key cover art was just like these two guys, like, are they or aren't they? What are they doing? Why are they so close? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, different than other band imagery of course European so different as well um uh but and, and then you look at the way that George was like allowed to like sort of run around with his like longer hair with these like gorgeous blonde highlights both ears pierced with like large hoop earrings yeah. right um, and that he was like pulling that off and putting that out there and that that was on the tame side considering 80s pop culture and like yeah. you know I, I it, it, sometimes we 
we forget the ways in which we've always been there. <laughs> you yeah. know, it was a big thing for me too. I think seeing um, this documentary as a whole uh, is, is just suddenly the memories came flooding back of all the people that I was looking at that were kind of telling me about myself. Well, and did you feel that? Because I, I didn't remember that Live Aid moment with Elton John and then the Band-Aid moment with, like that Elton John, it felt like was reaching out to him mm -hmm. and giving him encouragement and a safe place. Like, I see you. Yes. And, yes. and the same with, with, with Freddie Mercury's bandmates, yeah. kind of like tapping George Michael as someone worthy of um, honoring Freddie is another way of kind of saying, I see you and you have what Freddie had, you yeah. know? Um, and it's, it's funny because, you know, the, the wham, I really am much more of a sort of George Michael fan. Mm -hmm. The Wham years are a little spotty and lost to me um, based on my childhood. So there's a lot in there that is not foundational for me, a lot in the documentary, but like I was learning a lot watching this documentary and like filling in gaps for the places that George Michael slipped or well, Wham as a cultural phenomenon. Um, slipped through my my filters mm -hmm. back at that age in the time and the place that I was at from the ages of 10 to 14, <laughs> which is, yeah. you know, and that all their major hits really, really come from one and a half albums, like yes. is wild to me, um, all produced between the ages of 10 and 14 on my timeline. Yeah, and, that George, so, and yeah, there were a lot of things I missed. Oh, well, I was a Wham fan. I yeah. was like, well, completely a Wham fan. And it, I can see that it's a different experience seeing it as a foundational sort of experience to who George Michael yeah, became. Yeah, I, I was discovering. Well, and, and it's interesting because part of part of that was, um, you know, growing up in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in Cali Southern California during this um, period. I was in Denver, Colorado, and in the early 80s, I was in a market where our radio was still really segregated. Mm -hmm. So, um, and at that age, like at 10, you're not quite getting into pop music. You're still kind of listening to whatever your parents put on in the car, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, um, and not old enough to have access to your own music and buying your own albums. I wasn't mm -hmm. old enough for that yet. And um, so in the car, we only listened to, we only listened to the R&B station in Colorado. It was on AM radio. And, I was gonna say, yeah, where was that? <laughs> yeah, it was on AM radio. We 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 barely listened to FM, mostly because they didn't play any of the R&B or hip hop no. artists that we were familiar with. Um, but then also, weirdly, the first place that I heard both Madonna and Wham was on R&B radio mm -hmm. uh, because early Wham music. It was um, Young Guns. Yes. Um, and Madonna, it was, um, oh God, it was one of her early hits. It must've been Lucky Star that both had a little bit more of an R&B sound and yeah. dance club sound to them. Yes. So I first heard both of those artists and my first understanding was that Wham was some sort of like European, like black kid, 
<laughs> because I didn't have cable, I didn't have MTV. Right. So I had no visuals. I had no way to see the music videos to understand that those two artists in particular <laughs> were not even black people. Like the way my jaw dropped when I found out Madonna wasn't black <laughs> when I was in sixth grade was like a real like <laughs> moment that I was like, you are lying to me. <laughs> and so, so George was like this, like Wham was like this one hit wonder that I'd heard this one song from and then not really heard from again. And then towards the end, as they were breaking up, when I was 14, I was kind of in a place to look back a couple of years and be like, oh, I think I heard that song at like the the, the roller rink once. Yes, absolutely. You know? Or Elitches. Yeah, or <laughs> definitely Elitches. And, and, and realizing that like Wham was this thing that had been around, but by then George Michael was emerging and I was able to kind of follow him from there. Yeah, yeah he, Wham slipped through my radar in a lot of ways. He, you know, it was, you know, I remember seeing articles about wham in my cousin's tiger beat yes but like it was as she was flipping through to show me pictures of john stamos who was like her big celebrity crush uh, yeah you know and so <laughs> you know or with my sister it was everything bobby brown and i'll be sure so you know in those magazines we were skipping past the pictures of the, these wham guys that like they didn't even register because you know we were i was looking at other things they were beyond the veil for me apparently i was an anglophile from a very young age because mm. it was like duran duran and wham those were the two that I was like keyed in. And then I also had friends because I didn't have Tiger Beat. I didn't have the posters, I, but I had these friends, Lisa with Durandran and Jenny with Wham, who were like my gateway friends. Yes. They had like all the things and they had control over their radio. One was an only child. One was the youngest, as was I, but had sisters. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if you had a friend who was a girl who had older sisters, that is a great <laughs> friend to have when you're looking for that kind of like bubblegum pop or whatever what were they called I mean it was just pop but yeah it was I I just I don't know there was something about I think they're like unapologetic enthusiasm which was borderline cringe right and they talk about it in the documentary that they were getting this heat about it like how can you be and I think at that point in my life, I mean, I was trying to like kind of deconstruct a little why I was so emotional watching this. And mm -hmm. these years, 84 to 86, my brother died, like a lot of things happened. Mm. And I think that I leaned on music, like pop culture. I think that's when I got really deep into loving comedy and laughing because I needed these things to like say, there's a life where people laugh and sing and dance. And, and I think, I think I could just feel there's something about George Michael. We could all feel if we gave ourselves a moment that there was something happening with him, mm -hmm. whether we knew what that thing was or not. Um, and that he was changing it. He was making it into art that was helping all of us. Like mm -hmm. there was this piece of, I just, I, I felt it. And it was so interesting watching because I remember those interviews where they're like, Andrew, how does it feel to be the loser who's in this? Like, I mean, just so aggressive toward him. Yeah. And I remember those. And I remember being like so pissed off 
because to me they were a unit even though george was obviously the front man the songwriter the producer all the things and they never hit that face (laughs) (laughs) and the charisma right like Mm -hmm. the star power and but it felt like it was real like there and and you know how when we're trying to like decode pop culture which we all do like we try to decide who's nice and who's real and who's you know who's someone we would like in real life like we give ourselves all these answers whether they're true or not but we do yeah. it um especially as a young person they felt like someone of significance to me mm-hmm. um and so it's just and then obviously George Michael continued to be this kind of like, I mean, he was just such an, it, it, get, it got me emotional too, because it was just, he was such a gifted um, artist and songwriter and. Incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted vocalist as I well. I know, his I voice, mean, when he sings the clip in the, do they know it's Christmas? Like, mm-hmm. or whatever that, when he sings a bit of last Christmas to her, um, just off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> which I would be mortified to ever do that so this is like oh my god um yeah and I for me too those last moments where they're talking about him going off and into his solo career and I do feel like that choice to not be able to openly embrace his queerness affected his life in a profound way and I think that's also where a lot of the emotion came from was like this this seemingly off-the-cuff decision I'm not going to come out because, Mm -hmm. you know, Andrew doesn't think I should. He's probably right. I don't know how everyone will react. I do want to be an enormous pop star. Right. I don't see anyone out there who is openly queer doing it. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't. And I feel like the repercussions of that decision, you know, I mean, we can, we saw them in his life and and in his death. Yes. We saw them. We saw them throughout. It's, you know, did you watch? Did I know? I don't know. I have to watch the next one. You have to. I know. It picks up up exactly sort of where the first one ends in a beautiful way. Um, And it is, um, you know, George was working on this himself. So it is, there's a lot of information in it, but it's information that's coming with his blessing, you know, yeah. in a sense, even posthumously that we're getting a confessional, that we're getting yeah. a, a first person narrative is really, really valuable. But it is also, it's talking about, I mean, the, the other documentary does sort of talk about how those costs played out for him yeah, um, in a beautiful way and, and a heartbreaking way. Um, but also, um, you know, there's a journey towards claiming and a journey towards strength and a journey towards like finding identity that is a part of that narrative too. So, so, uh, it, they 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 complement each other. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I like immediately was like, where do I watch this after I finished it? Because I also just had this moment when we. I think also he's such a big thing to me because Freedom, the second one, I can't yes. remember the year it was released. I feel like it's ninety one. 90 freedom 90 90, freedom 90 yeah yeah um and i hadn't ever put together that the freedom from wham that it was called i'm terrible at song titles it's like one of my things i'm terrible so i hadn't realized that the freedom the wham song was also freedom that's why that was freedom 90 i thought it was just freedom 90 because it was 1990 um that song if it comes on the radio 
or I have it on, I will hysterically start crying. Like, really? Yes, because it was also a very difficult time in my life, 1990. And yeah, I just like, because you know how when you get older, you don't remember, you remember, but you can't like lay out the, the life, like the timeline of life every day when you wake up, because there's just too much, you know, mm-hmm. when you're like, <laughs> when you're, when you're 12, it's like, oh yeah, okay. I remember all the things that I loved and they were meaningful to me. And, but like when you're not 12, you're approaching 50. <laughs> there's a lot you, more. <laughs> it's like, I, and so songs really like tap into that place like I know for a lot of people it smells it's not really for me smell I mean smells get me but not in the same like a song will play Mm -hmm. and if you ask me beforehand if I was meaningful to me I might say yeah oh yeah I had the single the tape the cassette single single. (laughs) (laughs) which to be honest was a great format for me because I am notoriously a person who plays a song one million times Mm -hmm. like I have no trouble repeating a song over and over, which when we had cassettes was a bit more of an endeavor. Yes. So, cause singles were great for me. So I didn't give a shit about side B. Yeah. Some, I didn't care. So, um, and a song will come on and mm-hmm. I would say freedom 90 might be the number one song that I was not prepared for came on just sonic. Oh, it is interesting how different songs, um, do latch into yeah our emotional state or a very specific period. I'm trying to think if I have anything equivalent. And I can remember being in Breckenridge, listening Mm -hmm. to that single, driving around, just sobbing. But I would never be able to remember that moment if I didn't listen to the single. And I think it is partially because I listen to things over and over again. Yeah. So they get totally embedded in in your sort of yes. your, your your muscle memory and your yes. <laughs> your your spirit memory and those wham songs same like you know it's like you take a deep breath and you're it's like time travel evocative yeah <laughs> and it's it's so interesting because we're coming at it from these two different angles where you were sort of deeply embedded and I <laughs> was on this journey of discovering things that I never knew at the time yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was totally, de- oh man. And I had a friend that we, she had sort of outfits like that. You know, those choose life really reads differently. Want to say that like when they showed up in those shirts, yeah, which were iconic, like yes. the, those shirts, I think were the shirts they were most associated with in the United States, that those, outfit. Those shirts caused a bit of a, a bit of a, like, I do remember those shirts being a thing, but again, at the time, I'm like, "Who are these?" Again? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like bold. Frankie goes to Hollywood also did it yeah. with the relax, so mm-hmm. they were like in the same. And it was so funny when they showed the top like hits. It was like wham, Frankie goes to Hollywood, wham. So they were very much in the same the zeitgeist at the exact same moment. Yes. And so they had these like bold letter shirts, and I had a friend. <laughs> again a gateway friend who had those kinds of shirts and uh, when I was with her we would wear them it makes it sound like I didn't have anything I did have things but they were not these kinds no, of pop what, culture related items what's really interesting is that you have all of these <laughs> um 
pop culture co-conspirators. Yes, absolutely. Right? Which I think is a lot of how pop culture works mm-hmm. is through this way that like somebody gets hyper-focused on it and then shares it. And then mm-hmm. just the way that that age works, like once one person determines something is the thing, mm-hmm you know, people tend to fall in line and follow suit. And so everyone is like, that's the thing. Um, but I love that you had all these places and people who were um, feeding you. Like <laughs> They were all, many of them are gymnastics friends, which I also think that was a se- like a separate subculture of mm-hmm. people that, because it was not, I grew up on the beach. So that was a very beach culture, which was yeah. not as much this kind of stuff. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting too. I think for me, I was not always good at falling in line. Like I would chafe it when people, cause I like, I'd never give a shit about new kids on the block, you know, like as an example, right. and people would be like obsessed with those. I don't even know their names. Well, we were you a know? little too old for new kids. on the block. Okay. Well, I'm trying to, that we were a little, I'm a little younger than you. So they were right on the cusp of when people were that's, oh, th- yeah, into that's- that. That's fair. It definitely was happening. And I was like, <laughs> ew. Um, <laughs> But there were different trends that I did not care about. Right. So I always felt when one resonated with me, like Wham or Duran Duran, relief. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to pretend that I cared. Right. Because there was something that you you was identifiably yes. part of the zeitgeist and yes. you you genuinely connected with it. And you're like, thank God, there's something <laughs> here I'm into <clears throat> with all these kids and their stuff. Because some people were so like, the ardor is on, is to the nth level, Mm -hmm. which I could never match that because Mm -hmm. I know these people are celebrities and I'm never going to meet them. Like I had that awareness. Right. Well, okay. So this, I'm, if, if it's okay, I'm going to throw it back at you. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> because I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, given sort of some of the things that were going on in your life as a kid that were a lot heavier yes. than your average yes. middle schooler was there also the relief of like, yes. um, you know, being able to like kind of step back from all that and like just blend in the water with everybody. Yes. You know, absolutely. And I think that does play into the gymnastics thing a bit too, because those yeah. people didn't really know my family didn't really no, because my brother died right when I started at that gym. Mm-hmm. So people didn't really, and there was, and I felt, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I think most of us have had this experience where we go somewhere new and we have this, like we're on the cusp and it's like, who am I going to be here? Mm-hmm. And having that, I think going to gymnastics, which I went to this very competitive gym. It was the Olympic coach. Like it was a big deal in that moment. 1984 was the year the U S team, you know, it was like, huge. yeah, that was, that was a huge year for gymnastics. Yes. Yes. And it was Los Angeles Olympics and they were like training at our gym. It was just this, like, it was the closest I felt to like touching the future. Like there's a life out there for me that is not this life. Mm. And I needed that really yeah. badly. Um, And so I think gymnastics was the first time I had that experience where I was like, oh, I'm just Allison here. Right. People don't know all my brothers and all my frigging drama and all things. (laughs) Like, I'm just this girl who could do better job of pointing her toes. Okay. But who also likes Wham and Durant. Oh my God. Loves Wham. Totally wants to go to the mall. Needs a Forenza sweater. 
Um, <laughs> and there's a relief in being able to yes. just see that. Yes. Nothing else. Yes. And meet boys <clears throat> for my friend, Jenny, who always had suitors just to use yeah. a very old fashioned word, but it almost felt like that. Like when I'd go to her house, they'd get on the, we'd get on the phone with boys because she just had their numbers and <laughs> just unfettered assets. <laughs> so many boys. <laughs> and and I would get on the phone with boy and it just felt like, it felt like definitely stepping into an alternate reality. And I'm so glad you asked me that question because Wham was associated with this. Like that kind of like, oh, th- this is the Wham version. Right, right. Yeah. And again, it comes, I mean, I just, just to pull it back in this interesting way, you're also having this like conversation between queer gays and feminine gays in that this queer boy gave you access in some way to just this like this this female world of talking to boys and obsessing over pop music and and (laughs) yeah uh, uh, well I was performing normalcy and so was he and I think I there we go I saw like I saw him like oh we're both doing this thing right and we're like doing a pretty good job even though we're hiding in plain sight people seem to be buying into this Because they want to buy into it. Because they want to buy into it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was happy. I was normal. He was a, you know, straight <laughs> heartthrob to ladies everywhere. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to unsuspecting preteen girls the world over. <laughs> oh, God. When you watch it, you're like, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I actually appreciated how little he was actually hiding, which was not something I could deconstruct at that age and and even looking back on it from my late teens or mid-teens when we start to all realize oh he's he was bisexual quote-unquote because that was like the safe choice remember right? when that was remember when yes that was- <laughs> I do remember <laughs> I feel like that was a really formative time for me yeah. when when <laughs> so many men mostly men were bisexual because that mm-hmm. was the choice that could be acceptable in certain spaces. It's like, yeah. oh, well, you still also want to sleep with ladies, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't go that route. I just went Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not interested in ladies because I'm Catholic and I'm waiting for marriage. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> that was my bisexual. <laughs> that, and that was a well-trodden one as well. Which I loved in Lady Bird because they went to that space and I had never seen that in media. We need to have a whole separate discussion about that. Oh God, I loved it so much. Because I feared, I've not feared, but I have at multiple instances feared us having a us having a conversation. (laughs) You and I, uh, because I have so much trouble with that movie. Do you? It's triggering. Interesting. Hardcore. Greta Gerwig, bless her heart. Um, she so does not make movies for me. Interesting. But I love that she's making movies for the people that she's for making me. for. She's making them for you. She is 100% making them for you. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not at all making them for me. So <laughs> Lady Bird is this movie where, um, and I know this is like so, so very far off. But it's a movie that while there is a woman out there who desperately needs that movie mm-hmm. to like put all her pieces together and, and to tell her like, 
you know what? You're not difficult. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to grow, yeah. right? You're trying to grow. But also that woman was so damaging to me at that age across my oh, life. Oh, I can see that. And so for me, it's just watching like all the, yeah. oh God, that happened. I was on the receiving end of, yes. of that uninformed yes. assault. Which she life. does that with her brother, right? Yeah. I felt like that moment was such a, that moment was so the, important. With the, the queer movie. kid that she works with, the redheaded kid, like yeah. just it happened. And so it's so funny because Oh, that's so interesting. It's a it's a movie that some people see and they're like, thank God somebody made a movie mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And I'm just, I pretty much just see movies by women directors and I'm I like, hooray I for you. I can't work <laughs> again. I can't. I, I had so much trouble with Lady Bird that I am resisting seeing Barbie just because I'm like interesting. Retta, you're gonna have to wait. Well, you if you do see Barbie, you should come back and talk to me about it for real. Because then we can talk about Ladybird and Barbie. And you can yeah, hate that's Lady a whole Bird. separate it wouldn't hurt my feelings. Like I am not one of those people. And that is also I think something and this might be a good place to wrap up. I am not a person who feels like I enjoy this pop culture. You must also. And if you don't, it's some kind of weighing in on me. Because there are people who feel so passionately about, and I'm not one of those people. It's yeah. like, talk to me about it. I want to know, because like we're saying, these these things we love, they're portals into real conversations. Because They are, they are. And, and the, the phenomenon that you're talking about too, I mean, we've been talking about it with George all along, the way in which we are parsing this popular culture and the the, the creators of it, the stars, the singers, the actors, looking really to like sort of name pieces of ourself, you know? Um, And it's, while for some people it becomes their full identity and they can't sort of tell the difference. Yes, yes. What is beautiful about it is that you and I, coming from different angles, from different places, um, we both have a little bit of George in us. <laughs> well, I'm like, like that that feels really good to hear that. It's, to be it's, honest, it's, because it's, it's you know it's a <sighs> it, it's something that we have in common. Mm-hmm. Um and that's sort of the beauty of what can be sometimes seen as disposable and not yeah. very significant is that it also allows us to take little pieces of these people and plant them inside ourselves and then like forever we get to connect. Yes beautifully put and I think that was also where some of my sadness came from because you see it you see the thousands tens of thousands of people feeling like this man is giving their life a different shape than it did before he was in it yeah. and we could not all go back and save him like that is not how fandom works and I think that that is an almost impossible thing to explain to someone who wants to be famous mm-hmm. this will never fill the hole in your heart yeah it doesn't work that way you can fill the hole in their heart, but they can't fill yours. Yeah. It's a one-way street. Yeah. And that was, that really, really hit me in this documentary. Um, so I thought, so I would have wanted to watch it based on your recommendation and my love of Wham, but I'm glad that we had this conversation because it got me to watch it sooner rather than later because it was like, okay, I got to watch that. I'm going to just prioritize watching this documentary and yeah, it was, I, I highly recommend it. Um, if you were ever a fan of Wham or, or George Michael, and if you weren't, are you alive? <laughs> <laughs> or you might be young. 
you might be young. And if you are, just go listen to Freedom 90 and t- and, and report back. Yeah. Does it resonate with you? Because it does with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you, Brian, for thank who you. you are in the world and in my life. You are always, I just love you. And I love talking with you and you're just, you're wonderful. So thank, thank you for having me on. And thank you for um, making space for this conversation in this forum, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I hope that people who listen to it get as much out of it as I did. Just I know you hope, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, sorry, I got a lot out of it. Um, so if you, Brian is not a social media person, so you, you can't find him, but you could look him up on IMDb and watch shows he wrote on because there's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. Yeah. And please do. Yes. And he's a fantastic creative voice author. I think future memoirist, because I'm just going to continue to push him until <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It's, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's happening slowly, but surely, slowly, but surely I am. I am taking a very small shovel to that great thing <laughs> to see what potatoes I can uncover. <laughs> I think it always feels like a small shovel. That's why it's so daunting. And it it I think always that, feels like really big fields too. Yes. And that relates back to that time of like, how do you go back and how do you excavate and what, and what you uncover might not always be potatoes. Spoiler. <laughs> you may be out there looking for potatoes and you might get a beet or yeah. You. Not even a vegetable. Ugh, I don't like beets. <laughs> I know you don't like beets. That's why I said that. Um, because <laughs> I love beets. So <laughs> yeah. So you can't find Brian anywhere. Go watch his shows. Look him up on IMDb. He's prolific and amazing. And thank you for listening. If you li- liked it, send it to a friend, especially one who loves Wham or any friend and uh you know subscribe and like and review those things are meaningful to us and we would appreciate it and thank you for listening because i know there's one million and one podcasts out there so thank you for taking the time to listen to ours have a lovely day